today is Father's Day, and it's one of my favorite days as a father, um, uh, because it's the day I say, you know what, I don't want to do anything today, and uh, that's really all a dad wants, it's just no responsibility, just FYI, Um, yeah, can I get an amen, yeah, that's right. Uh, definitely want to honor our fathers. Last week, uh, we're in a series going through 1 Corinthians, and we're just going chapter by chapter in 12 weeks. And uh, uh, last week, Paul mentioned uh, the book, uh, Writing to the Corinthian Church in 1 Corinthians. He mentioned, you have a lot of teachers in your church, but not many of you are fathers. Um, it's, it's easier to teach and to gain knowledge and be able to instruct somebody than to father somebody. Because... The hood that is fatherhood is not an easy thing. It's not just instruction. It's not just uh, correction. It's also love, needing wisdom to know when to bring correction, when to bring love and grace. Um, The Bible says that husbands are to love their wife as Christ loved the church and laid his life down for the church. And so there's a lot of sacrifice for a father as well as a mother. But today we honor our fathers. I want to ask if you're a father, will you stand up to be honored real quick? Stay standing, stay standing. Awesome. Stay standing for me. If you are... If you are a spouse, son, daughter, or close to somebody, stay standing. We want to just pray for you. If you want to stand with them, pray with them. And uh, we want to take this opportunity to honor you and uh, bless God for you. Father, we love you and we thank you for this day, God, that you are our ultimate father. God, that you are the greatest heavenly father, Lord. And it's your sacrifice, your love, your correction, Lord, your justice, Your wisdom that we not only want to be like, but God, we need. So Father, I I pray for all the dads here today. God, and we give them honor today. Lord, as they stand, we salute them and say thank you for what you do. Thank you for being a father, God. And we ask also that you will give them great wisdom and power and discernment. Lord, I pray that they will um, feel the weight, but also, God, um, the, the power that you are with them in co-laboring, in raising children, Lord, and in protecting the home, Lord. I pray that you encourage them, Lord Jesus, this day, that they will feel honored, God, and that we, God, will love you and in return be able to love our spouse and our children. In Jesus' name, amen. Give them one more hand. So as I stated, we are in a series called No Perfect People Allowed, and we're going through the book of 1 Corinthians. The thing I love about going through a book of the Bible is also the thing that's hard about going through the book of the Bible is we're not going to get to every little thing in every chapter. There's no way. There's actually a Puritan church um, that spent 40 years in the book of Ephesians, 40 years um, parsing every word. So we're not doing that. Aren't you thankful? Um, We will be out of here by two. So you're good. Just kidding. I'll have you out by noon, but we are going through first Corinthians and we, we like to do this, especially in the summertime. And, uh, 
I love, love hate, love hate, because I can't get to everything, but I love going through scripture because it forces you to tackle subjects you probably normally wouldn't tackle. Like last week, we learned that it's not good to make out with your father's wife, First um, Corinthians chapter five. And, uh, and if anybody's offended about that in the church, uh, we talked about this last week as well. Uh, Paul is writing this letter to a church to be spoken in church. So the goal is to actually, we need to be talking about these things because the very applicable nature of the gospel and how it permeates all of our life is in these letters. Paul is dealing with very practical, practical and applicable things that we need to bring and encourage to be able to say no to sin and no to certain things, to be able to offer grace at a certain time, but also to know how to live. And in this church in Corinth, if you're, if you're not familiar or you're new, just super quick recap, this is a, it was a port city. There was a lot of trade, so it was highly dense and highly diverse, not only in thought, but in religion and culture. And you had every kind of idea and concept, sexual immorality, greed, lust going on there. We've talked about a lot of these things because it's so applicable for where we are. And Paul is writing to this church in Corinth, like he is writing to the church in Ephesus and others when you're seeing these letters. He's writing, we have two of his letters. We know there's probably at least two more that we're missing, but we know we have two of his letters. And in these letters, he's writing and correcting them upon things that he's hearing about. You see, he spent about 18 months starting, planning this church, making disciples, and then he left and went to Athens, to Ephesus, and he's hearing from the house of Chloe or from some of the church members, it says, about what's going on in the church, and he's having to come in in a very fatherly way with both love and grace, but also truth and justice to say, the things I'm hearing is crazy, like what is happening there, this should not be. Be. And so a lot of this is corrective in nature, out of love, out of a loving heart of somebody who has invested their life into these people. But, but also a lot of it is also instructive. Like this is what we do. God is a God of order. He's going to talk a lot about, about order in the church and what's going on. So there were a lot of things happening. Um, they were taking communion. People are getting drunk, eating up all the food. And so as we said last week, if you're getting drunk during communion, you have an alcohol problem. And so we should probably talk about that. And these are the kind of things he's having to really hit. So we're, we're going into some hard things, but this is the beauty of doing what Scripture says. Read the Scripture aloud together, and let's talk about it. I want to dive right in today. I'm going to read the first eight verses, and then we'll just kind of camp out afterwards on 9 through 11. Probably not be able to finish the chapter. But uh, I want to read through, and then we'll come back and kind of talk about it a little bit. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 through 8 says this. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Key word is trivial. Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then? Matters pertaining to this life. So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be 
that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers. But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourself wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. Now, we're going to keep going, but we're going to stop and camp here. Again, not often would we get up and talk about going to trial um, in a church. But what was interesting in the church there, obviously from his perspective, he's hearing that brother against brother. And in the church, they've got a lot of infighting, which we, we found out in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. But even so far as they're taking it to court and going to, to the law and going to judges. And imagine from the outside perspective, he's hearing about this and hearing brother against brother constantly just going to court and saying, with trivial matters, why would you take them to ungodly, unrighteous people? Why would you take them to the court and the state when you should handle those within the concept of the church? And he's having to rebuke them and say, this is not what we should do. And, and although maybe today this isn't relevant to you, maybe it will be one day, or maybe you're in the middle of some battle or you you've had court cases or anything like that, I think it's important to talk about what do we do, and I think Paul's having to approach this, what do we do when we have conflicting people? Because anybody that is trying to do something together at any point in time, for any amount of time, there's going to be conflict. If you come to church, you're expecting everything's just going to be good and nice because these are Christian people. We're going to have some sparks fly. We're going to have some conflict. It's going to happen. That's part of spiritual family. That's part of trying to get along and working these things out and two different people just being different. If you've been married longer for two hours, you've had conflict. Like, I will do some premarital counseling and we'll talk to couples and they're like, you know what's so amazing about us is like we've been dating like eight months and we have never, ever fought. And me and, me and my wife will go, oh, gosh. Like, that is not something to be happy about. That's, someone's either really, really, really passive, and it's not going to last, right? And the other person just always gets their way, and you don't have any sense of compromise, any sense of healthy, healthy conflict. And we've got to be able to have that. And this is what Paul's approaching. But not only are they just not con conflicting, right, but they're taking one another to court. So imagine being in a church like that where they're all tied up in litigation and you go to a small group and you just want to hear the word of God. And the small group leader is like, hey, I just want to open it up for prayer. And one person raised their hand, hey, pray for my lawsuit, my court case. And the person next to him like, yeah, mine too. And then the person next to them is like, yeah, that dude's suing me. And, and pray for that. I win and imagine the small group leaders sitting there going okay what do we do with this and Paul's hearing about this again on trivial matters now not on large big scale matters so if you have a roommate and you walk in the house one day and they have an ISIS flag hanging there and they're cooking meth and ticking things are going off in a bedroom you don't need your small group leader don't call me you can call Randy he's bony he's skinny he'll get him but you need an army like you need somebody that can come in with a gun you need a Brando you need somebody that can that can help you you need the court you need the law you need to deal with that when it comes to like treason and things do not call your pastor okay uh, but 
You can, you should call your small group leader. You should call someone. If there's trivial things, if there's conflict, we deal with a lot of marital conflicts because it's going to happen. And sometimes you need that third party. You need that out, that, that person outside of your circumstance to be able to help you deal with truth and emotions together because we can self-deceive ourselves and we can, we can deal with these things inside the church. And this is what Paul is getting to. Look what he says. When one of you has a grievance against another, Verse 1, does he dare go to law before unrighteous instead of the saints? Now, if you grew up Catholic, you read that and you go, okay, so I go to a bunch of dead guys. Uh, how, how, what do we do? Are we praying to St. Christopher? No. He's talking about, call Pastor Chris, not pray to St. Christopher. He's not talking about those kind of saints. When they were referring to saints, they're referring to leaders in the church. Christians is a saint. You are a saint if you are a believer in Jesus. And we're going to get to that. So he's saying, isn't there anybody there? You don't take it to somebody that doesn't understand the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We need somebody within the church. And he says this, or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Now, I've got to talk about this because if you were here last week, we talked about it's not our job to judge those outside, but we do judge those in the church. And we talked about what judgment is. Get the, get the podcast, okay? I don't have time to go through that. But... We, he says, don't you know we're going to judge the world? So we, you could get confused if you're reading the Bible and not dividing it correctly. He's talking about the end of days. And actually, 1 Thessalonians, Jesus says that he will be the judge, but we will kind of be on his counsel as saints, as believers in him and with him. So he's talking about the end of days. One day we're going to be a part of that um, helping. And he says this, and if the world is to be, to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? He says, it's our job to deal with sins. And the world deals with crime, like criminal cases, but we should be dealing with sins. We shouldn't take it to the world because the last thing we need outside of the church is the world to see us fighting and us going, hey, don't you just want to be like me and come to Jesus and know Jesus like I do? And, and people go, no. I don't want what you have. You're hating each other and fighting against each other and suing one another. Why would I want that? And Paul is saying, you're killing the witness of Christ. You're not dealing with it on the inside. And these trivial matters we have to deal with, sins we have to deal with. So if, if something happens in your marriage and uh, you find out maybe adultery is happening or somebody is, is habitually lying or gossiping, something happened, man, you need to take it through the chain of command. You need to take it to us so that we can come in love and deal with it. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 18. We should be able to deal with it in-house. We don't need to take it to the court. And he's appealing to this to help people understand. Because you, you can't, you know, like if you're calling 911, my husband's gossiping, you got to come get him now. Like it ain't happening, right? Right? Because those are sins. But we will come in and help and deal with and, and with discipline, but also with love and with grace. And we can also go, well, why is this happening and what's happening? And we can have that conflict and help in civil matters like that. However, does this mean we should never um, go to litigation with somebody? Well, there is a time you might have to, okay? We almost had to in this church, uh, by the way. Um, we decided, you know, it's not worth it. But our, when our architect, when we built this building, our architect died. And when, they, when she died, she was our tie between our contractors. And our contractors, there's $20,000 missing that other subcontractors didn't get paid. So they were trying to come after us and we're going, my ledger seat says zero. 
Like we're in the clear and we're in the good. And so thankfully we had some uh, lien waivers and all this kind of stuff. So we were in the clear, but it got a little dicey and we were getting ready because the worst thing you want is people to go, well, you can, you can sue those Christians. They don't, they don't get attorneys. They don't go to court. Like, no, that's crazy. Sometimes you might have to, but really what Paul's appealing to is this should be the last thing you get to, especially in the church. Does that mean you can never sue another believer? Not necessarily. That's not what he's saying. But, again, it should be the last thing. But let's say you, you have, because we like doing business within the context of our church. I think it's good for you to do business in the church, not just to help feed your family. Um, but, but I want to help feed your family. But also, I think it gives you a level of accountability. And we could say, hey, you've got a lot of integrity. And I'd love to get you to my unbelieving friend's house or whatever. You can work on their house. But let's say in the context of, of church you have someone doing your roof, and they, they get half down, and they peel it off, and they don't come back. They don't come back the next day. They don't come back the next day, and you're going, oh, this is great. I can see the Lord, but I'm getting rained on. Like, wh- wh- what do you do? Do you just take it? And No, like, you should have contracts, and you should be wise. You should be smart, and that is a case you could, if they're in the church, bring it to the pastor. Hey, would you talk to them? Yeah, let's find out what's going on, and if that doesn't work and they won't repent and do right, then you might have to go to court. But you don't want that, ultimately, he's saying, because what is it looking like? to your witness in the outside world. He says in verse 4, if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in church? And in verse 5, last week he said, I don't want to shame you. This week he actually says, shame, shame. And this isn't all bad. He's saying you should feel, you should be ashamed of yourselves. Because I think Paul's feeling it too. He's like, It's like if your kids go off and do something crazy as a father, as a mother, you feel a little bit of shame. You're like, man, you're killing my name. You're killing what I've taught you and what I've brought you up to do. And he's saying, if you don't have shame, something's wrong, right? You've just harbored frustration and you're calloused. There should be a form of shame. And he says this, can it be that there is no one wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? He's saying, do you have any leaders? Do you have anybody that steps up? Do you have a small group leader, deacon, an elder, a pastor, somebody that can help settle these matters? Because that's what we're called to do, by the way. But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. And look what he, what he says. And he says, sometimes, right? Wouldn't it just be better just to suffer the wrong? He says, you, you worship a God who suffered and died for you, and yet you have to get all, all of your extreme justice constantly from everybody else. He says, this doesn't make sense. Wouldn't it be better? Sometimes, sometimes God is a God of justice, but sometimes, sometimes you go, I'll, I'll take one for the team. I'll, I'll take it. I'll stand in front of the plate. I'll take it because the last thing I want is between really frivolous things. What is this going to do with my friends? What is this going to do with our friendship? What's this going to do with our church? You know, many churches have been split over these types of things. And you have to think about that. It's not just about me. It's ultimately about my witness to the world and, and really, I'd say my soul and how I care for myself. He says, why not rather just be defrauded? Some of you, that'd be the worst thing that could ever happen to you in your life. Don't you ever say anything bad about my name. 
Well, sometimes it happens and you cannot control, you cannot make an idol out of everybody loving you all the time. Sometimes you have to take one for the team. And he says, but yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Let, let, me, let me say one more kind of thing about this um, and kind of give a caveat for this. Um, if you come to the church and let's say we are trying to deal with disputable matters, I, I need to make sure I say this, even if it's just for a few people. And, and we're dealing with some of these disputable like sins. Um, I, I want you to understand there's, there is a sense of confidentiality, but if there is criminal activity, there's no confidentiality. The, the, we are not priests like sitting in a booth, like did you just confess your sin? So you could feel better and then move on. So, so for instance, if, if you've committed a crime or you come to me and we're in a, we're in a heated uh, counseling session and you're just like, hey, I've been stalking this girl and I really think I'm gonna do something wrong to her. And I say, okay, well, I'm gonna tell her right? Because I'm going to protect her. And he's, well, you can't do that. Yeah, I, yeah, I can. Like, it's not confidential because I'm not just your pastor, I'm her pastor. So I have to be smart with this. So there's not this um, extreme confidentiality. Or if you've committed a crime, like the worst thing the church can do is harbor criminals and then we create more victims as they move to other churches or other places. I told you last week about the individual we had that was doing, committing some gross sins when he, he actually moved off to Austin. And I found out where he was, um, was at. And I had to contact the pastor and say, hey, this guy, he's trying, to, he's, he's trying to get better, but you need to watch him. Because we'll be held accountable. We're not here to harbor criminals period. And justice is important. And so don't think, well, I've just got this carte blanche, you know, I'm, I'm good. I could do whatever, say whatever I want. And I'm just going to walk away feeling better. We're saying, no, <laughs> we might have to do something about this because restitution is sometimes as important as forgiveness. So we need to uh, deal with some of those kind of things. Let me show you in our culture today, and I'm backtracking a little bit, Jared, but in our culture today, I don't know if you know, but we have between 80 and 90 million lawsuits filed every year in this country. 70% of the world's lawyers are in America, and 50,000 more are added every year. We're, we have a very litigious nature in our society. Uh, let, let me give you a couple of frivolous lawsuits I found that I thought were funny. Um, a man sued his wife for donating kidney for his donated kidney. After Long Island doctor Richard Batista was slapped with divorce papers from his cheating wife, he decided he had enough and sued her for the return of a gift he'd given her eight years prior, a kidney. After the successful transplant, Donwell, Batista's wife, survived, but not their marriage, which lasted only another four years. The heartbroken doctor requested the one-time love of his life pay $1.5 million for the organ he donated. He insisted his cash for kidney claim was a direct result of his wife's behavior. Here's another. We have a lot of teachers in our church. I thought you might enjoy this one. Student sued school after being awakened by teacher. Check this out. A 16-year-old Connecticut high school student who fell asleep in class. Any teachers in here know that? Some of you do it in church. Allegedly, <laughs> alleged, he suffered substantial hearing loss when his math teacher smacked her palm down on his desk to wake him up while she was teaching. So his parents decided to sue Danbury High School, the Connecticut Board of Education in the city of Danbury on his behalf. 
Attorney Alan Berry says, 15-year-old, I'm going to just call him Vinny, uh, suffered pain and very severe injuries to his left eardrum when teacher Melissa Nadal abruptly slammed the palm of her hand on his desk. Vinny has been teased by students at school ever since. You just created your own bullying. It's hard to feel sorry for you. And all the teachers said, amen. You're like, no, I'm not getting sued. (laughs) We have a very litigious nature in our society because people want to get rich or people just have conflict. They don't know how to manage it. And within the confines of the church, we have this, this beautiful structure of leadership that should never be abused, never be used in a wrongful way, but that should help us because you have people, you have brilliant people within our elders, our staff, our people that you can come to and our small group leaders that you can come to and get wise advice. Proverbs says, with many counselors, there's wisdom. And a lot of people outside that, I mean, they don't have that. They have to go to professionals and spend a lot of money or they have to go to litigation because they're not necessarily getting some great, or they have to go to Google, but that's not always helpful to get a lot of knowledge without wisdom. But to be able to sit down with somebody and hear the conflict and hear the story and hear the example, it's such a beautiful thing. And in a church, you either take advantage of that and, and enjoy that, or I think it's easy to just dismiss it. Well, I don't want to bother them. I don't want to do, no, 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 we super care about you, especially if you have conflict in our church. Let's take care of that. Just like last week, we talked about a little yeast leavens the whole bread, makes the whole bread bad and increases throughout the bread. It's the same thing with conflict. If we don't manage it well and deal with it, we need to be able to deal with that. And so Paul deals with it, and then he gets really hardcore because he's saying, here's the deal. Let's say something does happen and you take one for the team. He says, here's the reality. Look at verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Here's what he's saying. You might take one for the team now, and you might not get your justice now, but one day justice will come because everyone will give account for the things that they do. And there's something... There's something relieving about that. I'm not in control. I'm not God. I don't have to control and get vengeance and control every situation that if I give and forgive, God is going to plan it out and he's going to make it work. But let's hit this, especially in thinking about the gospel. Let's hit a little bit about what he's saying here. He says, do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Why does he say that? Because it's easy for us to deceive ourselves. That I can do whatever I want and I'm never going to have any sort of accountability. I think in our culture today it's easy to say um, because we, we have this such loose definition of love and we don't really define terms well. We say, well, God just loves everybody so it means you could just do whatever you want. That, that is called Christian deism. If you're not familiar with this term, a lot of our founding fathers were deists. And what a deist is, is someone who believes through the evidence and the proof that there is some kind of creator. Like I can't deny with creation, there's got to be a creator. That I can't deny that. But I don't think he is involved in our life. So a deist believes, deism believes, that he just started everything, wound the clock, and left. And said, you're off on your own. Do your own thing. And the problem is Christians or Christians 
can adopt this same mentality. Like, Jesus came, he did his thing, I'm forgiven, and so now I can just live however I want, and it doesn't matter. And Paul's going, don't let anybody deceive you. God is actively involved in our life. He cares about his reputation and how you uphold him. He cares about the church and the things that you do and the things that you say. And then he goes into this litany of, of specific examples of people that are not going to inherit the kingdom of God based on their identifying with these specific sins. Let's look at them real quick because I'm not scared. It's not popular, but I'm not scared. I have a license for this. Um, he says this, neither the sexual, sexually immoral. Again, last week we said this is the Greek word pornos, which is a, a really a junk drawer word for all sorts of types of sex outside of marriage. And so fornication, everything you can think he's saying, these people will not inherit, that identify themselves as this will not inherit. He says, nor idolaters. So you might say, well, I'm safe. I don't do that. Idolaters. Everyone in here at some point has been an idolater. And idolatry is not just worshiping a statue, but in in uh, scripture, idolatry is worshiping anything and loving anything and getting your full life from anything above God. That becomes your idol. That becomes the thing you worship. The word worship means to consider highest worthy or honor. So it's not just about music. When we sing music, we're going, we consider you the greatest. We're singing about you. You're amazing. And I'm worshiping you. You are my idol, God. You are everything. I get my energy, my life, everything from you. So an idol can be something as small as a pair of shoes to a person because if I get more life out of it and more devotion towards it and more worship and worth towards it than I do God, it's an idol. We just hit everybody because we've all been there, including myself. He says, nor adulterers. We understand what adultery is. Nor men who practice homosexuality. This is not popular in our culture. But notice he didn't just do homosexuality. So a lot of churches just hit one. And it's easy to hit one. And you're not talking about the others. Because our God is an inclusive God. Inclusive and in we've all sinned and falling short. Look what he says. Nor thieves. We understand what a thief is. Nor the greedy. This one we can super trick ourselves. I'm not greedy at all. Well, let me ask you the question. Do you love money and use people or love people and use money? That's what greed is. Someone who loves money and I use people. Because the love of money instructs everything I do. I've got to make sure I'm using you to get what I need. Versus loving people and using money for their benefit in them. He says, nor drunkards, we understand what that is, nor revilers, maybe you don't know what this is. A reviler is someone who uh, is, is injuring someone else's reputation or denigrating them, abusive insults. If you've ever driven down 59 or 610, uh, you've probably done that, right? So you're number one. And so you've probably um, in some way reviled somebody or something. And then lastly, nor swindlers. A swindler is a robber, an extortioner. Um, someone suddenly seizing property or something like that. Now, we're all in this. The, the, the beauty of this is we're all in this. The hard part of this is in our culture, and many of you say, oh, that's this kind of church. I knew I was going to get this message at church. Because you grew up like me, where I was in a religious home. Although my parents weren't super religious, they were very hypocritical. Um, and, and I could say that honestly, and they will say that to this day now. But we would, I would go to church, and, and, and I kind of learned how to be good. You know, you go to church long enough, you're like, oh, we raise our hand there. 
got it, got it. Okay, now we're praying. If you go to a certain church, now we're kneeling, now we're standing, now we're, and you can learn kind of the ropes and you can get into it, but religion will frustrate you to death because I, I don't know about you, but I, I am probably the fastest moral, if, if, if morality was a sprint, I could probably sprint faster than anybody else in here, but a marathon, yeah. Right, I can feel really bad, go to the altar, cry, and I think I'm repenting, but I get up and I just go, I'm going to try harder. I'm just going to do better. I'm going to get somebody, I'm going to get some self-help, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to read the Bible for a little bit, but I'm just extracting it for myself. And I'm just going to pull myself by my bootstraps, and I'm just going to be better. And a lot of us hear the gospel message, man, I heard this for years. That's what I thought he was saying. I think that's just what I heard, because I trust that's not what he was saying. But God forbid that's what you hear from here. Just be better. Just do better because it's easy to read through this list and, and especially if you're an unbeliever, you look at it and you go, yeah, I, yeah, that's, that's exactly what I think about Christians. They're just self-righteous. They just do all the right things. I've tried that. I failed. Forget that. Now I'm more angry at God and running from God because I can never do that. I'm never going to be like Ned Flanders. I'm Homer Simpson, right? Like I just can't do that. And the guy that does that, a lot of times is the hypocrite because he's standing on his own, well, just be like me and be like me and do like me. Well, all you need is these 10 steps to do this. And Paul, I'm so thankful he doesn't end there. He doesn't end just on our tragedy of where we are because we're all stuck in this same mire. We're all stuck in this same place. If we went through and raised our hands, you could say, yeah, I was sexually immoral or I was an adulterer. You could go through and all of us would sit there. Look what he continues and says, and I love this. And he says this, verse 11. And such were some of you. This is where we got the title of this series, No Perfect People Allowed. It's not that you were come out of your mother's womb with a halo and you're, you know, two feet off the ground. And like she couldn't give you a bath because you walked on water. You had to take showers. Like you weren't like just this moral agent coming out. And some people think that like they'll see somebody. And we have somebody in our church that was a former stripper in college. And you look at her now and you'd go, there's no way. That person's the most holy person I've ever seen in my life. And yet some of you were. This. this is the grace of God in it. So not just the judgment, everybody, but look at where he goes. And look what he says. I love this. He says, but you were washed. Let me ask you, was that an active or a passive washing? He says, you were washed. Somebody washed you. Nothing you did. You didn't get in the spiritual bath and, man, I just rubbed myself real good. No, you can't get out. You are stuck in it. And until you realize I can't get out, you're going to be a weary, weary person and you're either going to be angry at God or you're going to keep trying until you finally get to the point where you go, I can't do it on my own. I can't get out of this identity. And he says, you were, not our being even, he says, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You know what he's saying here? He's saying this. 
our ability to grow morally is inseparably linked to our understanding of the grace and mercy of Christ and his cross and us being set free to pursue what we already are in him. Here, let me explain. As long as we come to the altar, we go, ah, you know, I did that bad sin. I did that thing I know. And, and we feel bad. And you should. I mean, there's a sense of I feel wrong. I feel bad. And I am repenting. But repenting is not just, listen, is not just asking for forgiveness. It's also receiving forgiveness and receiving a new nature. This is a theological term called double imputation. Say double imputation. Okay, you're learning something. Double imputation means this. Jesus, on that cross, my sins got imputed or accredited to him. He took them all, past, present, he took it everything on that cross. But that wasn't it. It's easy for us to go, yeah, thanks, and go on. But listen, double imputation, the exchange. His righteousness and life and identity got transferred to me. And if you don't get that, you don't understand Christianity. All you hear is, I'm bad, that person's bad, I'm better than you, at least I'm moral, and all, all these things. No, no, no. We're all bad. We all need Jesus. And what he did was not only forgive, but then he gave you his nature. So now we cry out, I am not an adulterer. A fornicator. I'm not. My identity and life is not wrapped up in being a homosexual. My identity is not wrapped up in being this specific thing and way. My identity is fully consumed in Jesus, in who He is. I get my life, my 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 very um, uh, confidence from Him and what He has done for me. Now I identify with that. And, and I, I love, I have these 90 statements of scripture of who I am in Christ. Just a few. I am blameless and free from accusation. I am firmly rooted in Christ. I am now being built in him. I have been made complete in Christ. I have spiritually been circumcised. My old unregenerate nature has been removed. You imagine when you come to the altar, you go, God, forgive me. And he says, okay. And, and if you just stay there, well, I'm just bad. I'm just no good. I'm just a sinner. No, that's not who you are. And he's saying those people aren't going to inherit the kingdom of God. They've never switched their identity to say, I am the righteousness of Christ Jesus. I'm a son of the most high God. I'm a daughter of the most high God. You start getting that identity change, all your actions change. But as long as you say, I'm just this horrible sexual immoral person, the fruit therein comes as well. And this is what Jesus purchased for you and me. This is what he did. This is what it means to trust in him. Not just to say, thank you for forgiving me, but thank you for giving me your character, and your identity, your spirit. So now I don't have to sin. I'm still going to have some struggles and my desires are going to conflict, but I've got to remind myself who and whose I am. And out of that security builds right fruit. Where an apple tree produces apple, tree, apple fruit. And what Paul is getting to is don't say you're an apple tree. If you're producing oranges, just call it what it is. But don't think the gospel is just be better, be more moral. It is not. And if that's what you hear, please, please get it today. Because when I see what he has done for me, it's love that makes me want to work and do for him. And his spirit living in me. I'm going to end 
with one of my favorite prayers that Paul prays in the next church he goes to in Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16 through 22. I want you to hear Paul's prayer. He spent about two years in Ephesus after going to Corinth. And I love this prayer because he doesn't say, I pray that you get out of your sticky situation and you stop sinning. Look how he prays. I do not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers. Here we are. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Look, in the knowledge of him. The more you experience him and know him, the more you're going to get wisdom and have the desire to do what he calls you to do. Look what he says. Having the eyes of your heart, not just your mind. And Jesus has got, even the demons believe that and tremble. But the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance? What was that substitution, that exchange that he gave you? That inheritance that he gave you upon dying for you? What is that about? What is the power behind that? To be able to destroy something and help someone, give someone wisdom and encourage someone and conquer things in my life. What is that inheritance? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might? And he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is what I pray for our church almost daily. It'll drop like a like a snack machine that they just kind of hanging there. You put your quarters in, it's just hanging there. A lot of you, the gospel's just been hanging there. Like, I want to believe, but it hasn't dropped yet from here to here. And just, God, how amazing are you? And how do you know when it drops? You know when you go, I'm not running from you when I'm messing up. I'm running to you. Because I know I'm not perfect, but man, I need you. And let me say this, if we can do this thinking about dealing with conflict and litigation, if we can do this at the church, listen, a lot of people say, you know what, our church, our, our world needs more uh, CPS workers, our world needs more uh, police officers, our world needs more um, homes for battered women, our world needs more prisons. And I say, no, our world needs more Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, socially responsible people because they're not the one putting women in battered homes. They're the one visiting women. They're not the one putting people in prison or going to prison themselves. They're visiting prisons and they're they're saying, I have the answer. I can help you. That's what the world needs. And that's why I'm in ministry. I hope that's why you're a believer, not just for yourself, but for others to proclaim this same truth. Why don't you stand to your feet with me? We're going to close having a time of prayer. And we're going to sing this song. What a beautiful name. We're going to sing this again. And maybe you're in here and Man, God has just been beneficial to you, not beautiful. Like he hasn't come through. He's just, I'm going to serve God as long as he benefits me. You will be highly, highly disappointed because he's trying to work something in you, not just give everything to you. And we serve God and love him because he's beautiful in what he's done, not just because he's beneficial. And out of his beauty comes the benefit of the gospel and the grace and the love of God. And maybe you're in here and that love has grown cold. And you're just like... I don't even, I've been there before. I'm sitting where you are and I'm just going, I, I just, I'm not feeling anything. And 
But I keep thinking, I gotta do something instead of going, no, what has God done? I keep thinking, what do I need to do better? And God's going, you just need to look at me and what I've done and worship me. Open your mouth. Let me be your point of worship. And that's what we wanna do today. If you need prayer, we're here. We have communion here. You can take it individually and judge your heart and your life. We love to offer prayer if you need it and we're gonna worship together. Father, we love you. And we praise you for this day. We give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen.